Ladies and gentlemen, do we have a treat today? I am so excited that I get to have a friend and one of the most important reads of my last 12 months, Greg McEwen is here. He is a public speaker, he works in leadership, he's a business strategist, he's an author, and he's dedicated his entire career to discovering why some people and teams break through to the next level and why others don't. The definitive treatment of this issue was addressed in his New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And I can tell you right now, it was, as I said, one of the most important things I have read in this last year. Uh, he has frequently been the number one time management book on Amazon. And this book, it challenges the core assumptions about achievement to get to the essence of what really drives success. He's here in part today because his new book, Effortless, Make It Easier to Do What Matters Most. And he's going to have a conversation with me today about empowering each of us to achieve our goals, starting with a simple principle that not every single thing has to be so stinking hard. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Rise Together podcast, Greg McCune. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us? think like us, or live like us. I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. So great to be with you, Dave. Thanks for having me. Oh, I, I appreciate you. It's not the first time that we've had conversation. I love anytime the universe has uh, a friend, as it were, reintroduce someone who has been uh, a, an important part of my life. And the crazy mm -hmm. thing is, John Acuff, of all people, threw together a text chain last week and was like, hey, you're good people. You should be having conversations. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I love Greg, love his work, and would love a chance to have a conversation. So I'm so, so grateful for the serendipity that brings us together today and really, really grateful for your work because, man, it has had a profound impact in my life in this last year. Uh, I just tried to give a little bit of an overview of what you do, but in your own words, could you introduce yourself, why you are on this planet, what kind of impact you are hoping to have? Thank you, Dave. Uh, everything you just said so kind. I'm Greg McEwen, uh, married to Anna. Uh, we have uh, four children. They're all. Uh, Teenagers now, oldest 18, well, almost all teenagers. We've got 12 year old uh, and all in between live in just north of Malibu in California, originally from London, England. I mean, what I want to do is just teach and write in my life. And that has a few different forms. Uh, and, and I mean, I couldn't hope for better than what you just described. I mean, it's impressive. It's humbling to me that somehow essentialism has played, you know, a, a small role. Uh, in this last year for you, it, it's it's it nev that never gets old to me, and I'm just that that's that's what I hope to achieve. Uh, when you when you teach, when you write, you just hope that there is a person that this is relevant for at a certain point, and that you can be useful to them. So, uh, so that's it. That's what I'd like to do. I love it. I mean, I count myself among the very very many human beings who have been impacted by this book. I know it sold more than a million copies. Congratulations Thank you, Dave. on that. At the beginning of writing my next book, I, I wrote something in the rush to return to normal. Let's use this time 
to think about what parts of normal are worth rushing mm. back to. Mm. And in, in a crazy way, as much as I didn't really think too much about it, there was something of a centralism at the core of this thing that I was mm. writing and the, the way that you challenged us as readers to consider that distinguishing between the vital few and the trivial many. We just talk for a second about those two things, the idea of the vital few and the trivial many, because I think they're such an important thing to think about as we find ourselves with a world that may in fact be coming back to some kind of new normal, and we're trying to make sense of what we want it to look like. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, I think that people were had the opportunity for sort of involuntary essentialism. You know, it's like it's like basically no matter what your situation is, you were being told to go to your room and have a think about it. Uh, and we, we sort of had to slow down. It was forced upon us. And we learned things or at least had an opportunity to learn things about what was essential, what the vital few things were versus the trivial many that we used to think we have to do them all. Well, suddenly we didn't. And we, we had that opportunity to learn. Now, as we go back to this transition uh, you know, various levels for various places in the world, there's another opportunity to say, well, if that was the great reset at the beginning of the pandemic, this is an opportunity for a great redesign. And what the data seems to be showing is that is that the vast majority of people do not want life as it was before, even though they don't want pandemic life forever. Uh, there's a YouGov poll in the UK that found that just 8% of people want to go back to life as normal. Uh, anecdotally, a company I was just talking with uh, found that just 3% of their employees want to go back to life as it was before. And so, so what we now need to do, I think, is to look at our lives and say, look, there's a few things that are vitally important. Let's design our lives around those things. And let's not rush back to just adding stuff just because other people were doing it or just because we'd been doing in the past. These are not good enough reasons to carry on doing it so that we can hopefully take forward some of these lessons that we've learned through the pandemic, the few vital few things. Uh, because in the end, uh, you know, it's difficult to overstate uh, the unimportance of practically everything. So let's not design yeah. our life around that trivial many. Uh, let's design it around the things that are essential and vital. Yeah, it's so interesting because I think the world so often tries to tell us to be all things to all people at all times. And your suggestion in the book, and I would argue that the thing for people to think about here is that if everything matters, then nothing important really matters. If everyone's important, that no one is truly important. And as much as we might want to make a list of our top priorities, there's no such thing as top priorities, right? Like only one thing can be a priority at one time. And I think we lose sight of that a lot of times because of the way that society tries to tug and pull at us in the you can be everything to everyone at all times kind of conceit, which is just a recipe for disaster. Well, this is one of the, you know, I learned this the hard way. I received an email from my boss years ago saying Friday between one and two would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, Actually, as it turns out, we're in the hospital Friday morning. Our daughter's just been born. And we're, you know, instead of me being focused on the essential few, or in this case, singular, the priority uh, of my life, I've got my laptop out, my phone out, and trying to keep everybody happy. And to my shame, I go to that meeting. And even afterwards, I remember my manager saying, look, the client will respect you for the choice you just made. Uh, and, and I'm not sure that the look on their faces event. <laughs> Sort of evince that sort of respect. 
Uh, but even if they had, it's clear that I made a fool's bargain, that I violated something more essential for something less essential. And what I learned from that was if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. And so, and so really that sent me off on the first uh, quest uh, to say, well, why is it that we prioritize the way we do? And I found that an enormous number of people, uh, maybe they haven't done what I've done, but they have felt something similar where they just find their life being busy, but not necessarily productive. Uh, that they're stretched too thin at work or at home and that they feel this sense of someone else is just hijacking my day with their agenda all the time. And so, and so, you know, if you had to summarize essentialism in one word, it would be prioritization. It's taking responsibility for that. It's saying, look, I need to figure this out for myself because I can't expect the world to somehow collaborate to make sure that I get utilized for the most important contribution I can make in life. And so, so that's, that's how I think about essentialism, if I had to summarize it in one word. It's just prioritization. Yeah, I, that quote is my absolute hands-down favorite quote from the book, if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will, mm. right? And it's like the idea that their needs will fill your calendar at the expense of your self-care or the goals that you set or the destination that you're heading toward. And at a certain point, it kind of comes back to doing the work to stay connected to your core values in a way that you'd hope to experience life on a day-to-day -day basis, saying yes to only the things that support those things that you value, but and a, and a polite but firm no to everything else. Mm -hmm. Boundaries then, it seems, becomes an important part of essentialism as well, right? Yeah, boundaries are, uh, I mean, I think boundaries are an interesting, I mean, I write about an essentialism, but I think that this is a particularly relevant theme right now, because among, among the things that the pandemic has done, it has removed all boundaries. So whatever boundaries did exist before, and they were pretty minimal, at least you often had a physical separation between work and home. You, you at least maybe had a, a commute. You had something to signal, this is that, now I'm here. Now that's still lots of work bled over into your life. I mean, once you had smartphones, you've, 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 you've some, you're always connected. But since the pandemic, there's just not those natural rhythms. And so people, you know, move into a kind of Zoom, eat, sleep, repeat lifestyle where they look at their Fitbit at the end of the day and it's 300 steps, uh, if that. Uh, it, it's, and, and you just, you don't even almost know what day it is. And so, so everything just gets consumed and we find ourselves where, uh, you know, we've heard this before, but, but that we're not working from home, but we're living at work. And it's just completely consumed us, uh, you know, mind, body, soul. There's just like so little left of us at the end of the day for, for, for physical health, for, uh, for, for the other people that matter most to us in our lives. There's just like, it works just consumed everything. Uh, I get far, far more emails now on the weekend than I used to. Uh, and then very, almost all of the time, that's not really necessary. Uh, but, but we just, these boundaries are lost. And so I do think that setting boundaries is, is kind of, I, I would, it's one of the themes that I've covered both in essentialism and in effortless, because I think it's relevant right now. Yeah, it's such an important part of self-care and so hard because I think there's a natural people-pleasing kind of thing that exists in each of our humanity. And yet, when you don't have those boundaries, you just 
give up the chance that you're going to stay connected to your values or feel like you can achieve the things that are important to you because of the way their agenda, their motives, their bias compromise your pursuit. So, uh, man, boundaries so important. I, I was in thinking about what are the things I would hope for having uh, someone in this audience listen to and take away. There were three things that you suggested people ought to really kind of stay connected to in making your own list of essentials. Mm. And they were the three kind of uh, statements, if you will. Mm. I choose to, the idea that only a few things really matter and the idea that I can do anything but not everything. Mm. And we unpack all three just for a second, because I think if you can get to the bottom of each of these three, it might help you make the list of the things that are essential to you that would inform your boundaries, that would inform the way to focus on those vital few. The big point here is that essentialism is a mindset, is a way of seeing the world. And it's not like putting on new glasses so that you can see clearly. It's more like you've been, you've had glasses on that were uh, getting in the way, sort of like the funny goggles. They, they were making everything appear uh, a certain way when it wasn't that way. And the, the glasses that we have on right now, these funny goggles are like, uh, you, you know, you've just got to try that everything is equally important. And so if you believe everything is equally important, you're going to behave a certain way. Uh, if, if you believe that there are things you just have to do, that you, are no, you, you have no agency in your life, then you will just simply keep signing up for more and more, and then you feel complete obligation, like you just are not even, uh, you just don't even have choice. And so this is what non-essentialism or the enemy of our story is built on, is a, is a, is a mindset that just happens to be false. It's the basic idea is, is that if you can do it all, you can have it all. And, and a lot of people get into a 27 hustle type of culture. In fact, sometimes they've just been taught that that's the way to do it. If you just do everything you possibly can, then you're going to break through to the next level. Well, sometimes that does work, but there's many, many bodies on the, 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 you know, on the road, so to speak, that prove that that isn't the case, that people just burn themselves out. They burn their relationships out. They burn their businesses out because they, they're taking this approach. If I could just use a metaphor to contrast the non-essentialist mindset with the essentialist, I, I, I like the idea of, of sort of you've spent your whole life in a coal mine thinking like, okay, well, my, it's all important and I have to do it all. And, and it's just about pointing, just getting as much of this from point A to point B. And then one day you wake up and you take off those glasses and you say, oh my goodness, the whole time it's been a diamond mine. The whole time I've been doing this wrong, I've been playing the game wrong. And so suddenly you change everything. If you suddenly realize that only a few things are exceptionally value and the rest is, is noise, it's dust, it just is of no value, you'd start to play the game differently. And so that's why the mindset's so important because out of that mindset of I choose to and only a few things are essential, out of that mindset is, is a new behavior. The, the skill set of essentialism, which is really to explore what's essential, eliminate what's not, and then make it as effortless as possible to actually execute those things. And so you can see that that person in the mind, in, in, suddenly in the diamond mind, would start doing all of those things spontaneously, automatically. You'd start to say, well, hold on, hold on. It's not about how much stuff we get out. Let's pause. How do we find the diamonds? And, and that's the first stage of, of actually being an essentialist, is exploring, creating space 
to look and reflect. Uh, that's justified because a few things are essential and most stuff is noise. So it's worth looking for them and discerning them and exploring them and putting time on your calendar. Uh, once every six months is my current preference to take a couple of days every six months to really explore my life, to set new goals uh, and to, to make sure I'm in perspective. That's exploring, but then you eliminate, you've got to get rid of all the, 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 the stuff that's cluttering up your life getting in the way of finding those diamonds and, and bringing them forward. And then you need a way to execute it, an automated process if you can, so that things work uh, in a routine, natural way and is sustainable. Uh, that's kind of the, the mindset plus what follows. It does take intention, right? Like the, the mindset is something that requires this dogged, conscientious daily return to the vital few, right? You can't um, just read the book or just listen to this podcast and then decide, yep, I'm an essentialist now. No, it, like it takes really intentional work to come back to what are those things that really matter every single day? There's a, there's a quote, I'm sure you've read the one thing by Gary Keller, but I, I, I like this quote too. And it reminds me a little bit of this point that you're making around, you know, really identifying only a few things that really matter, which is what's the one thing that I can do that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary, right? Like those are the things to say yes to. And I think the, the conceit of what you're also suggesting inside the book is that there are only a few things that you should be saying yes to and feel freedom to not say yes to those things that aren't needle movers, that don't help you find the diamonds in the mine. Yeah, I think that's right. Is that is that in any given situation, some things are disproportionately important. and And as soon as you... As soon as you at least even approximately believe that, it begins a new journey. Uh, it is, as you say, a disciplined pursuit. I mean, it's a disciplined pursuit of less but better rather than an undisciplined pursuit of more. And this idea of less but better as a, as a mantra is one that I think is powerful and, and helps us to be able to design life in a new way rather than living it by default. Uh, and and so I you know I think that if people just even even if people just take the idea that they're going to be really much more selective going forward in their life, so that they're not just saying well yes if something seems like a, an approximately good idea or yes because other people are doing it, but instead they say look if it's not a clear yes it can become a clear no for me uh, that you're increasing your 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 stand like the the criteria for a yes becomes more stringent. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I like the idea of the 90% rule, which is if it's not a 90% or above clear yes, like, yeah, this feels right, this is the right direction, then you default to a no. Uh, and, or at least default to a question mark where you say, well, should I even be doing this? Is this even a great use of me? Is this the best? Is this the best? Is this going to lead to my highest point of contribution? Is this going to help me to be able to get the, the most important things done today? To me, these are, these are useful questions. Yeah. I, the crazy thing for me, and at least this is my experience, I don't know how many listeners can resonate with this, but when you're playing against that impossibly high societal standard that we should be able to do all the things, and by the way, have it all together while we try to do all the things, it really has only guaranteed one thing for me, and that's that I'm never going to be able to do any of those things particularly well because my effort and my impact is so diluted across the spectrum of things that, to your point, inherently have varying degrees of value. And so anytime that, I'm in the, that I end up wasting on a low value to do 
totally comes at the expense of the quality of the things that actually do matter. And if that's the kind of permission that you need to say no, that you know that your no, K-N-O-W, that your N-O is going to unlock a possibility of delivering high value to the things that are the most important things in your life, be free. What, what, what a beautiful thing that can come in the freedom of seeing what actually focusing on the things that matter most might mean for the quality of that focus producing the result you hope for. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. And particularly this idea that if you, if you say yes to everything, then the, the sort of two effects of that, one is you get spread too thin, you know, you start making a millimeter progress in a million directions. That's like number one. So there's an effectiveness hit. But then there's also just a quality of life hit where people really do just get more and more exhausted in their journey. And that particularly is something that I think has relevance right now. I, I sort of think that in some ways, there's only two kinds of people in the world right now. Uh, there are people who are burned out, um, and then there are people who know they are burned out. <laughs> and it, it's like, you, it's better to be in the second category than the first, but actually it's easy to be in the first because the more burned out you get, the, the, the data shows that the, the less likely you are to know about it because it, you know the, the, ne- the nature of being burned out is that you become less clear in your thinking. It's foggier. It's, it's, and that's about everything in your life, including self-awareness and where you are. And so for a lot of overachievers over this last year, they, they've pushed into overwhelm like, well, I'm going to power through I'm going to power through burnout, <laughs> which like isn't, that's not a recipe for, for success. That's going to like double down. And so the, the cost is very, very high then to your physical health, to your, you know, to your relationship health, to everything. And so, and so this is something that sits heavily with me right now. I, I was talking to a, to a CEO of 1100 person company. He just said, everybody's burned out. And at least he knows it. It's worse if he doesn't know it because then he'll lead in a different way and keep saying, well, let's work harder, let's push harder, let's keep going, let's do more. And, and, uh, and what we need is to say, well, if everyone's burned out, let's find a strategy that's sustainable. Let's find a way that feels calm so we can make a lot of progress, but we get the right pace. Yeah. For me, I, I, especially in this last year, I've, I've tried to stay really close to asking a couple of questions in the context of this broader conversation. That is, hmm. what, what do you stand for? Like, hmm. Dave, what do you value? What do you stand for? And who do you want to be? Like, mm-hmm. how do you, in showing up consistently, hope to have other people see you because of the consistency of your actions? Mm. What's interesting, though, is as much as I can answer those questions, I've also been someone who suffered at times from a bit of a scarcity mindset where opportunity will present itself, it falls outside of who I'd hope to be or how I'd hope to show up, and I have to fight the temptation to say yes to something because it might afford me something that feels like uh, some, some kind of certainty, something that might uh, you know, help me provide for my family or might help build what I'm attempting to build. But having the clarity on where the guardrails are around what do you stand for and who do you hope to be actually has afforded this peace in being able to say no and push back against that scarcity mindset when it avails itself because uh, that's not who I'd hope to be and that's not what I'd hope to stand for. Are there things that you've had 
similar to my two questions that have helped you isolate how you say no to the things that are outside of what's essential for you? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was just interviewing um, on my podcast, on the What's Essential podcast, um, had Matthew McConaughey on, and and I didn't know this about him, but he is, you know, he's pretty de- like developed essentialist. Like there, there's there's quite a few things he's done that would be countercultural in the Hollywood you know experience where he says, okay, I'm just going to take off a year or two. I'm going to go for a walk about. I'm going to I'm going to you know. And, and his the question he was asking wasn't wasn't even like what do I value or they think he was probably asking that. He was just going, what will I not do? Like what is my what am I like what are my absolute no's? And and I thought that that was quite a clever. You know, distinction because sometimes it can be overwhelming to just go set to even this question: What is essential? It's like oh, I don't know. There's like a lot of stuff that's essential out there, but but to even just begin with, like, what am I clear that I, I'm not interested in? You know, sometimes we only know our values in their violation. Ooh, uh, that's you know, good. Either someone else has violated them of us, and we suddenly go, okay, no, that's 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 a line too far. You just crossed something I'm not okay with. Or sometimes. In our own behavior, we do something and we go, yep, that, I, I know that was wrong. I don't need anyone to tell me that, that I did something that crosses a value myself. And so so I think that that can be a good place to start uh, that's a little, uh, a little less overwhelming. What is something that's essential for you that you're under-investing in? First thought, you've already had it. Peace. I mean, like peace to me is the most important thing. As I think about like the kind of way I want to feel the day Mm-hmm. Making sure I'm creating space to connect with God, to get back to neutral, to invite my feelings to the table, to understand why they are here. Mm-hmm. That is a thing that I know is an essential thing right. in my life. And right. sometimes life compromises the <laughs> ability, right? Sometimes sometimes life is not aligned with total peace. Yeah, yeah. just sometimes. Okay, yeah, uh, chaos, I like that. chaos I abounds. So, so, I, so, I mean, like the headline is, I know how important it is. I have made sitting on my back patio or moving my body on a run as a time to connect with my thoughts a real priority in my life. But anytime I feel disconnected from peace, I also feel the emergence of anxiety. I feel disconnected from my ability to connect, disconnect, I, I'm saying connect too often. I feel disconnected from my ability to achieve the kind of goals short term that I've set for myself. And so every time I'm like, oh, you haven't spent enough time on a rock out back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard two things there, right? One was your answer was like high clarity because you, you, you're like peace, like that, that matters. Like that was, that was an ambiguous answer for you. The second thing I heard beyond your words is just like, actually, anxiety is at the doors. Like I've set a high achievement pace for me. Like you, you have you have responded, I think, unless I'm reading into it wrong, to the last year with like I am going to pursue, like I am going to pursue my values. Yes, but I am going to go after it like aggressively. I'm I'm going I'm going at this with ambition. I mean, there's not you know some people have responded in different ways. Okay, we're gonna. You know, kind of just relax through this almost, not maybe relax through it, but just like, I'll just wait for this to get over and then get back to normal. But you have done the other side of it. But the cost of that is there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people are still expecting stuff from me. There's a, a lot of pivoting required. And so I think what I hear you saying is I just, it's not like I don't value peace. It's not that I never experience it, but there's a there's another clamoring set of voices 
pushing on me a lot. Yes? 100%. And what's interesting is I thought pursuing calling over career, right? I, I left a career to pursue my calling and, and I thought that was the, the hard choice. And what I've come to appreciate is it's a string of daily hard choices that makes the requirement to fight for, strange word when you're talking about peace, peace, a thing that is a prerequisite to be able to withstand the promise of discomfort in doing this work that's outside of my comfort zone. And so I just have to, I have to make it a priority because I will continue in this interest of becoming who I believe I'm on this planet to become. I'm gonna keep pushing myself into places that make me super uncomfortable, that trigger my insecurities, that have my anxiety pounding on the door. And so fighting to get to a place where I can listen to those emotions or sit in conversation with God or whatever it might be is a must or I become overwhelmed and then am totally unproductive. Yeah, you, you, you're, you're describing that the why behind the piece. Yeah. It's like, if you don't have this, you didn't say this word, so I'm adding something and you can tell me whether I'm putting words in your mouth or taking them out of your mouth. But it's, it's like, if I don't get enough of that piece, I start to feel like I'm gonna discombobulate. It's just like, you know, I'm moving so intensely so much going on that without that piece, it, it, I don't really know what you what what it would look like for you. But it's just not super pretty. It's not yeah. it's not a great version of you that's showing up. It's like another version of you that, that shows up or something like that. Am I getting it right? Tell me to correct me where I'm getting it wrong. Absolutely. What's interesting for me is that in the same way that you're having your conversation around essentials every six months or so, I've been going through and every six months, sometimes three to six months answer this question, Dave, what do you need in this season against each of the five pieces of health, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and physical health to help you stay on the journey of who you'd hope to become? Mm -hmm. And so peace, as a, for example, happens to be an answer to what I need for my mental health mm -hmm. to be able to actually equip myself to handle the guarantee of the headwinds that are going to come in stepping one day at a time closer to who I'd hope to be. How, how would you know if you had like kind of arrived on the peace train? Like, how would you know that you were like, no, I have enough of this now. What does success look like for you? Well, truly the times when I've felt most connected to peace is when I have created it consistently, right? So uh, sitting on my back patio in the evening or as a part of my morning routine after the coffee's been poured, sitting in, in silence and just collecting thoughts, understanding what I'm feeling. Before I've opened my calendar, before I even look at my day, just sitting with what I'm feeling. If I've done it 10 consecutive days, I have a sense of peace. I have, mm -hmm. a, I have a, and it's not to say that it's, you know, oh, I've, I've achieved it. I'm at the top of the mountain, the flag's on top. No, but I am connected to it in a way that if I go two days on, three days off, two, two more days, I don't feel it necessarily because of it having become something that's inconsistent. And I can say that, by the way, for moving my body. I can say that for reading. I can say that for you know, sure. community and the things I need from people in a, in, you know, in a world where, man, community is such a commodity that is you know, limited. If I've gone a certain length of time without connecting with someone, I start to also feel 
more alone and overwhelmed. And I start storytelling about my experience, not being something that's connected to somebody else who can affirm, Mm -hmm. nope, there's normalness in your humanity for processing the world the way that you are. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of them come back to consistency. If I can do these things consistently every day, man, I feel great about myself at the end of the day. Yeah. You're describing the difference between consistency and intermittency right? And humans tend towards intermittency, right? They, if, if you could just be consistent at almost anything in your goals, you're going to achieve them. But we tend to do it, okay, I'm on, I'm good for a few days, and then I drop off for a few days. And, and it's a kind of boom and bust behavior. Okay, so you keep talking about this idea of taking a few minutes on, you know, sitting, sit, sitting on the patio with your thoughts. How consistent are you being right now? Like, what's the realistic thing? Over the last 10 days, you have done it how many days? I've done it almost every day for the last 10 days. So, so I, right I'm, now you're I'm feeling very, good about it. I'm feeling very good about it. I'm very consistent right now about it. I'm also in turning in my book and in a handful of things that are upcoming, recognizing that it is a thing that has to happen for me to entertain the kind of conversations I've ha- I'm having around what ends up being next for me and what I'm trying to do and affording mm. gifts or, or impact to human beings. So it's not a negotiable thing at this point in life. Right. You, 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 there's enough burden and stress going on that you are doing it day in and day out right yeah. now. Yeah. It it's, is a program that I am working. My back patio <laughs> is, 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 a, is, a, is a key to sanity and, and calm. Okay. So just one more thing on this then. So are you feeling, so, so the, answer, the answer at the beginning was peace is something that you maybe were under-investing in. Is, is there a practice that you wish you could add that you go, if I was doing that, that would help me get over a certain peace line in my life? Is there a practice you're like, ah, but I'm not doing this. I am doing the sitting on the, I'm doing that, but I'm not doing. Yeah, I think the next step is when I then have a handle in those moments that I've created to understanding my feelings, I am once a week having a conversation with a therapist. I am not as often as I would like, but in conversation with my closest circle to own the things that I'm feeling, where I struggle, et cetera. And so I think to me, it's like taking the aha moments, the the, the epiphanies that come in the peace that's been created and taking it to a next step where you're now in community, having a conversation and sharing either for me with a professional who can help me make sense of what I'm actually going through mm-hmm. or, you know, like the thing I look forward to most in the world returning to some kind of new normal is an ability to, on an every single day basis, find a way to go on a run, have, you know, a coffee, whatever it might be with someone that might allow me to say, yo, I am going through this. I was sitting on my patio this morning. I am really having this emotion, this thought continue to knock on on the door. Help me understand why you think from your perspective, objectively, like what is it that, you know, is is at the core of what it is that I'm feeling? That's Mm. the next step for me. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what whether whether someone's introverted or extroverted. None of us have had the the a fill of sociality. You know, everyone is. I don't care who you are. You're a little more isolated now, or a lot more isolated than you were before. So you're saying, like, if I could just get uh, the support group, really, the in person support group going again, yep. as we as it starts to open up, you feel like that would help a lot to be able to just, again, feel of people's concern and care, get the support going, 
and also have a place to be able to be honest and open yourself, but get feedback too. Like, yeah, well, here's another way of thinking about that. Or, no, you, you know, it's very normal for you to feel what you're feeling and you could do with that right now. It's a little, little too personal of a battle sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, all of us, I think we get in our head. There's some stories that we tell or that have been told to us that we've come to believe. And there's something in community, like, church going from virtual to in-person or a small group, the ability for a coffee kind of a scenario to allow intimacy to actually show up, right? Like something that says, hey, I'm going to own, these are the things that I'm working through and struggling with. These are the thoughts that I'm having. And somehow having the listener affirm the normal nature of that as a part of just humanity generally makes you feel less alone, makes you feel more normal. And as much as I, man, I'm feeling great about myself. Thank you very much. I also struggle like anybody who's listening right now. And the idea that being with other people who've also gone through something similar could just say, yo, this is normal. You're okay. This is what worked for me. You know, a tip or a trick that maybe helped them work through something that I am currently experiencing. That, that's, mm. that's where the gift of relationship comes. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, when I think about people being burned out, burnout isn't just from overwork, right? Like that can cause burnout, but burnout is also isolation causes burnout. Uncertainty causes causes burnout. And, and you know, as much as the advice to sort of go, go on a walk, go on a run, like is valid, it's like, yeah, that's going to get you so far. You actually still do need a support group. You, yeah. you, we need each other. It's one of the you know, I've been taking some time recently to try and identify what have I learned? We say, oh, it's a good opportunity to learn this last year, but what did I learn? Uh, and at, at actually at church, um, the church leader, Russell M. Nelson gave us that invitation, like actually write down what have you learned and share it with people that you love. And so, you know, one of those lessons is like how much we need each other the community and support system that maybe, maybe some of that was in place before. It's like without it, life is, life is harder. Uh, so, so we need to rebuild that. Uh, so, so, I mean, I, I hear what you're, I hear what you're saying and, and I, 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 I feel it myself. Uh, and, and I wonder, I mean, I think what's on my mind about this for, for people is, is how can, how can they build, like, what can people do right now in the midst of this? Yes, we're sort of in the pandemic, we're sort of in transition. What can they do in a time that is is already fatiguing, to be able to, I mean, obviously you know my head is here, but but the, 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 like life is to make it a little easier to do what matters. How can we how can we ease life's inevitable burdens uh, and not not fight them? Um, for example, somebody just said something. This is when you're thinking about the emotions that you're that you're grappling with. Uh, they, they said what they do is when they feel negative emotions they will physically go to like to hug the emotion <laughs> like it's an old friend like yeah. they're greeting an old friend oh my goodness you know it's been so long since i've seen you fear <laughs> and and what they say that happens for them is that it just the emotions just dissipate and it, it makes a lot of sense to me because i think that part of the the pain we feel is when we're struggling against those emotions. Oh, I'm not supposed to feel this. I'm not supposed to feel fear. I don't want to feel anger. I don't want to. And we push them out, but they're like, no, I must be experienced. That's how you're going to get through this is to actually experience it and go forward. And sometimes I think we fight that for 
sometimes for years and years with, with, with challenges that we go through. Yeah. Instead of just going, okay, I feel it, I get it, I welcome you, and then it's gone, you can move on with your day. I mean, not that I want to compete with essentialism, but the second most important book for me in this last year was Untethered Soul. I mean, I've talked about it a million times, but the mm. idea that you are the observer of your thoughts or the observer of your feelings has been such a powerful gift. Beyond that, I mean, I've been doing a ton of therapy all about just inviting the parts inside of you, which believe themselves to be playing roles that are there to help you, mm -hmm. that you, if you can create a relationship as the observer of them and ask them, what role do you believe yourself to be playing? They think that they're there to help, even the oh, negative yeah. emotions, right? They think that they're, they're there to help. And the more that you can understand what their motivation is, where it's come from, why they believe themselves to be there, it can be intel. You can now, because of understanding it, create a better plan or do something that ends up satisfying part of why they think they're there so that they go away. The, the, you know, this is, um, so we, we just putting into context, the new book effortless has three stages to it. It's effortless state, effortless action and effortless results. And that's like concentric circles, but within effortless state, you know, I think that's like the most important thing. Like maybe the most important thing of life is what state you are in right now. Are you in an open, humble, you know, grateful state? Or are we in an angry, frustrated, you know, exhausted state? Like in a sense, I think that there's only two states now. There's like the state of suffering and there's what I'm calling the effortless state. And what you just said just speaks directly to one of the one, one small practice uh, within getting back to the effortless state, and that is to fire our grudges. Uh, you know, using Clayton Christensen's question, he he was, used to say with services and products, we ought to say, well, what did I hire this product to do for me? You know, what did I hire this service to do for me? There's always something beyond, you know, you, you, whatever you, you know, you're not buying a product, you're buying a solution to something else. And similarly, we can, I think, ask that question about grudges and say, well, what did I hire these grudges to do for me? That's good. And, and so we, well, what do we, what, and then of course, once you identify what you're hiring them to do, you can evaluate their job performance. We hire grudges to make us, sometimes I think we do it to make us feel powerful. Well, we're one up. See, look at this. I, you, they have done something wrong. Uh, you know, I am in the right and that gives us a sense of sort of righteous indignation of like, you know, yes, it's okay. So we hire it for that. But how does a grudge perform against that? Does it make us powerful? It makes us vulnerable. It makes us weaker. It makes us, you know, weaker to everyone else around us because we're so on edge with any anyone else that we meet in life. Well, are they are they going to take advantage of them? Are they going to? And, and so it actually leaves us feeling weaker. So no, not doing well on that job performance. Another reason we do it, I think, is to sometimes make ourselves feel important. You know, someone wants to hear our story. We get to tell our story, and they, 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 they there's a sympathy. Yes, the sympathy that we want to get, and uh, and and that works on the surface. But but you can tell there's a fatiguing nature about that with grudges. That's why we have to keep finding new people to tell our story to. It's like <laughs> yep. people are like, yeah, I, I got it, I heard it, but like I've heard that soundtrack to use John's term. Now, uh, you know, I'm, I, I can only hear so much of it. So. You can go one by one through why we hired the grudge and we find it doesn't perform well. It's time to fire it. Or as a, as a business I worked with one time that used to have that, a phrase, they used to say, hire, uh, slow, fire, fast. So they would have very, very uh, trim 
entrepreneurial lean organization, even though they've scaled massively. And I think that can be said for grudges too. It's like hire slow, fire fast. We, we, don't, we, we just, let's not pick them up. Not, let's not hire them if we can, uh, because once you hire a grudge, you just, it just burdens you, <laughs> you know, and stays with you and wants to stay with you and suck out your energy. It's like, uh, I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, but uh, King Ronan, uh, who's been, who's, who's got worm tongue whispering to him all night, you know, all day, all night, all the time whispering. And he thinks that worm tongue is, is serving him, but really he's in charge. He's decaying under this influence. And I think grudges are much more like that, that they are, that they show up as if they're going to help us, but really they're just burdening us, making everything harder than it needs to be. I don't want to lose our friendship, but you had me until Lord of the Rings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not, not a fan, I see. Not a fan. Here's the thing. There are, so, there are so many justified fans of the franchise. People love The Hobbit, too. I don't understand that either. But uh, it was lost on me, Greg. I don't yeah. know why. It's okay. I never watched it. I couldn't watch it. Don't send notes and letters. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but did you read it? That's the question. Don't watch it. I would never, I would never read never. What's the the last book you read? The last book I read was Believe It by Jamie Kern Lima. I've been, I've been doing a lot of uh, fiction. What's the last fiction? Probably Da Vinci Code. I mean, like that tells you how far back it goes. I I very rarely read fiction. And the thing is like my taste in movies, like my taste in books is like, it has to, I mean, I know I just said Da Vinci Code, but it like it has to have a chance at actually happening in the world that I operate inside of, or I just have a hard time with it. Right. We've we've dis- we've discovered something interesting here. We've, I have we've no discovered- imagination. Is that what we discovered? I, I actually don't know. I, I'm I don't read as much fiction as I do nonfiction myself. My children, I I, I definitely emphasize reading to my children. And my, my eldest, who's just gone off to, is, is, well, no, is about to go off to university, in her application, I was like, well, read it, write down everything that you've read. Like, let's get a list of it. And she, she stopped making the list at 200 books. So like, that's a lot more than I'd read at that time. And tons of that is fiction. And, uh, and so now they are, nobody likes a book pusher. And they, <laughs> and they, are, they are all book pushers now with me. They're all like, oh, have you read this? Have you read that? And it's all fiction. And I'm like, I feel tons of guilt about it because I, I of course, want to read the books that they're saying are really great books and that they think I would love and so on. So I, I, I have my, I have a long list of fiction I'm supposed to read. So I, I, you and I are in good company. I'm not as, I'm not Da Vinci Code. I'm not Da Vinci Code bad. That far back? Like that's, that's, that's a long, that's a, that feels dusty to me. You know, it feels, it feels a long way back. Uh, you, you What's know, amazing okay. actually, though, is my 14 year old of all things last night walked into my room and said, have you ever read the Da Vinci Code? And I, I was like, yes, actually. What do you want to talk about it? I'm happy to talk about it. He was just starting it. He has, he's got a paperback, which I mean, come on. I thought you couldn't open a Dan Brown book without having a hardcover. But I, like, truly, I love that. I love you had that moment. I love I'm that so that fictional happy. book came back. In the I'm so happy that, that the one it. thing I've read is now being read by my 14 year old. I mean, he also, by the way, has read Harry Potter and and read Lord of the Rings. And have you I read Harry Potter? I, no, you haven't read Harry Potter. Why would no, I, Dave? I can't read it. Read Harry Potter from beginning to end to, to your kids. I will Doesn't, absolutely not. I just just completely no. fundamentally disagree with this as a thing that will make my life richer. But. Uh, <laughs> That's going to also have people decide that, that I'm not a person to listen to anymore. I know. 
he just he just blew up blew up the whole show. <laughs> uh, okay, hey, speaking of books, uh, yeah, I mean, you kind of teased that maybe one of the things that people could do inside of these crazy times is to think about how to make the things that they are currently doing a little bit easier, which happens in part to be the subtitle, Oh, your next book, Effortless, yes. it's easier to do what matters most. Tell me just a little bit in your words. Uh, like, it, what's, sounds what's, like, it sounds like they didn't send you a book. That's what, they haven't sent you a book, have they? I don't have a book yet. What are you talking about? This I would have read wrong. that book before we had this conversation. This is, so, this is so wrong. They didn't they, read they, it they yet. Should, they should have sent you an advanced copy. They just arrived. So I'm very happy about this. And I was hoping oh. you would pick, pick one up and go, here it is. But they haven't sent one. I will rectify that. We will have them. We will have them send. I read it. the last one in like two days. I we mean, will, like, I'm not a very fast reader, but I read the last one in two days. I will read the next one in like two days. Maybe we will need to have a follow-up session. So Because I, I do want to, I want to hear what it says to you right now, especially given the last year. I want to know which things like resonate, which things don't and whatever. So I don't know. What, wait, what date does the book come out? 27th. Of April? Of April. You better use the, the, the fast mail. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll use the fast mail. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not afraid of this. I'm not afraid of Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, or the fast mail. I, I'm, I am illiterate in all, in all of these all of very, this is very exciting. All right, so tell me about the book. Not yeah. I'm not going to read it. I want to read the dang thing, but for people who are listening, why, why should they read it? Look, I wrote this book because life is so hard. That's it. That's the reason. Like life is hard in a hundred ways, and uh, and and this book isn't saying um, it isn't, and it isn't saying it shouldn't be. It, it it is. But the problem is, we add to the challenges of life layers that make it even harder. And those things that we make, that we overcomplicate, overthink, overstrive, uh, can make it so that we burn out before we get the results that really matter most to us. And so my position in this new book is that we can make a different choice, uh, that, we can, um, that we can find an easier path, a, a, a virtuous, good, but easier path. Uh, and if we can do that in life, small ways and in big ways, then we can actually get the things uh, that, that matter most to us, even break through to the next level, but do it without burning out. That's the context for, for why. I love it. What, it, what I, I know, and I haven't read the book, but I know that there is this idea of the effortless state. What is the effortless state that you'd hope to find yourself in? The effortless state is contrasted to the state of suffering. Uh, the state of suffering, we, we all know about this. It's, uh, we, 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 we sit in it too often. Uh, where we're angry at people, where we're holding grudges, uh, where we where we feel sorry for ourselves, where we're exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically, just totally exhausted, beyond tired. We're burned out or way beyond it. Uh, that's the state of suffering. And, and the effortless state is a state that also I think most people have experienced, uh, but just it's not, the ratio isn't, you know, isn't super, you know, good between the two. Uh, the effortless state is where you're well rested. You know, your mind isn't foggy. It's clear. You feel at ease in your life. You feel, to use a word you used earlier on, at peace. Yeah. And, and too much of our life, we are not at peace. We're not really here in this moment. We're just worried and stressed and pulled out. And so the good news is um, that, that if you can simplify your life, if you can remove burdens 
mental burdens, emotional burdens, then the, the effortless state is sitting right there all the time. It's there. It's not something you have to go run and chase and find. It's already there. It's just cluttered. And, and that's a good way to just contrast the books. Essentialism in one word, prioritization. Effortless in one word is simplification. Oh, so that's good. You're trying to simplify all the mental clutter, the emotional clutter, the exhaustion, the physical burdens, so that you can, uh, so that you can then go forward at ease to see clearly what needs to be done, what's important now, and this moves us to you know to the next phase of the book. But that's what the effortless state is. I love it. I love it. All right, you're going to get me a book. Uh, we're going to get together on Instagram, do a proper book review, full deep dive conversation on my takeaways, and I will hopefully have you challenging me to take even more away from whatever it is that I've already read and taken from it. So I look forward to that. We're at our last question, Greg. I mean, I could sit here and talk to you literally for the rest of time, uh, but it's a nice compliment. It's a we nice are out, compliment. We are, we are out of time. So we've used up. People have used up a perfectly good hour of their lives. Yes, they have. <laughs> they have used a hopefully a great hour of their lives. So uh, we end every single episode by asking our guests the same question, hard question, but uh, and that is to share one key takeaway with our audience. It can be an idea, an actionable piece of advice, a question that they ought to be asking. What is the one thing that you would like to leave with our listeners today? Uh, it's a practical thing, something that I didn't used to do, but I think is really useful right now, which is to create a done-for-the-day list. And that is, it's different to the to-do list, the endless to-do list. It's just to take a moment. I don't do it every day. I'd like to get to the point where I'm doing it every day, but I did it yesterday and, and, and I've done it regularly. And what happens if you do a done-for-the-day list is you get serious right up front about the things that will allow you to be at peace by the end of it. And a, a way to be able to say, okay, when that time comes, so I have a, I have a time that I'm, I'm done with work, right? For me, it's five o'clock. And I do that upwards of 75% of the time. I will literally walk out of my office and be able to call out like a town, town crier, you know, it's 501 <laughs> or it's 459. And, and, so, and so if you do a done for the day list, you, you get you stop the tendency to go, well, I'm just going to go six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, or pull a half all-nighter uh, you know, kind of behavior, assuming you can always solve it with more hours, more, more, more time put into it. Uh, done for the day list is like the things that really I, I really need to be done. And after they're done, okay, hands up, nobody gets hurt, we're done. We're going to move into relaxation. We're going to move into other activities for the day. So that would be one practical thing I think people can do. And that applies, I think, to kind of a pl application of essentialism and of effortless. Love that. If people do not uh, already follow you, know where to find you on the web, I, I will not judge them, but they ought to rectify that immediately. <laughs> uh, where do you live inside the internet? Uh, you know, the, the one place I would recommend just people go right now is essentialism.com. Uh, because there's a, a deal still going on. If people um, order Effortless, they'll also get the 21-day the Essentialism Challenge for free. It's a, it's a masterclass. It's a series of videos and bite-sized micro-adjustments that you can make to make it easier uh, to do what matters most. That's awesome. All right, listeners, if you took anything away from this last hour of your time being invested with the two of us, and how could you have not... <laughs> Do us a favor, do myself a favor, do Greg a favor, take a picture of this episode on the device that you are listening to, put it up in your social media stories, tag both myself and Greg, 
And when you do, we're going to share your having had a breakthrough of some kind with the rest of humanity. Uh, between now and next week's episode, make yourself an end of the day list. We'll see you next week on the Rise Together podcast. Greg, thanks for being here today, bud. Thanks, Dave. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.